all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the excellent and pure word of God. Amen. You may be seated. Perfect. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to hear. Good to see you. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. We're working through a teaching series titled Rejoice in the Lord Always. And this uh, series is through the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 11. Those were the verses that were just read. Joy in Loneliness is the title of this weekend's message. But let me uh, set up once again this uh, study through the book of Philippians. There is an unspeakable and glorious joy in Christ that should be normal for every Christian. And in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he not only personally demonstrates this joy, but he teaches us how we can have this joy in every situation of our lives. And so we thought it would be fun to kind of work our way through uh, Philippians during the summer months, the hot summer months, and it would be very helpful for us considering what we've been facing and dealing with. Especially, I think this one's very pertinent to where we have been with this whole coronavirus pandemic and the stay-at-home order and all the stuff that goes along with that. I know that there's been a number of people that have told me that they've been really, really lonely. And so I think this particular message addresses that. In fact, if you have your sermon notes there, look at the intro here. And so we're going to talk about joy in loneliness And we're going to talk about relationships and how we can have joy in our relationships. Relationships are not a luxury, but a necessity for our emotional and spiritual well-being. Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. We need each other. And, And so... Our sinful tendency is anonymity and individuality. What is anonymity and individuality? Well, anonymity is not wanting anyone to know your struggles. That's typically motivated out of fear. And individuality is is not wanting anyone's help. That's motivated out of pride. And that's our sinful nature. We would prefer just to show up to a big church, get lost in the crowd, and when it's over, go off our merry way without ever really connecting deeply with one another. And, and therefore, it creates this loneliness within our lives. Most people fight their battles alone and keep their interior world private, even in the midst of Christian community. 
It was Mother Teresa who said loneliness is the leprosy of modern society and no one wants anybody to know they're a leper. During World War II, doctors identified a fatal and mysterious disease they called marasmus. By show of hands, how many have ever heard of this disease? Not too many. It's, it's quite an interesting disease. It was discovered in a group of orphan babies who were placed in a care facility with brightly colored toys, new furniture, and good food. And in spite of the pleasant accommodations, however, the health of these children rapidly deteriorated. They soon stopped playing with the new toys, gradually lost their appetites. Their tiny systems weakened, becoming lethargic and wearing down. Some children died. When word got out, United Nations doctors were flown in to make a diagnosis and treat the children. After only a short time of investigation, the doctors made a simple uh, prescription, curing the problem within days. For 10 minutes each hour, all children were to be picked up by a nurse, hugged, kissed, played with, and talked to. With this simple prescription, the little ones brightened, their appetites returned, and they once again played with their toys. Their marasmus was cured. This profound and deep human need for nurturance does not change as we grow older. It is not good for us to be alone. So we're going to take a look at what are the benefits of of healthy relationships. We're calling them gospel-centered relationships. And that's the first section of of our notes you'll see. And, um, And then the next question we're dealing with is what are the marks of or the characteristics of gospel-centered relationships or healthy relationships. Let's take that first one. What are the benefits of gospel-centered or healthy relationships? This is based on verses three through eight. Now, most relationships are built on proximity, closeness, and affinity, hobbies, and interest and still leave us lonely because they do not go deep enough. Paul's answer to loneliness is gospel-centered relationships. Paul had neither proximity because he was 800 miles away in a Roman prison, chained to a Praetorian guard. So he didn't have proximity nor affinity in the sense that it had been 10 years from seeing the church in Philippi, but he had gospel-centered relationships with them. You see, a gospel-centered relationships are where Jesus is at the center of your relationship, which means we will treat each other as Jesus has treated us. Ephesians 4.32 is a great example of that. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so, there's a couple of values that, that go right along with this teaching today, uh, values that we have here at Desert Breeze, maybe you're familiar with them. Uh, as it relates to our relationships with one another. We believe that Desert Breeze is a place where strangers become friends and friends become what? Family. And then there's another value that we have. How do we become family? Uh, Well, life change happens best where? 
small groups. In other words, your relationship with other Christians has to be much deeper than what you get here on a weekend service. And if you really want life change, if you really want life change, you need to connect at a much deeper level. The Bible calls that koinonia, and we'll see that a number of times in this text. And so let's work through the notes here. And uh, here's the first uh, benefit of Gospel-centered relationships or healthy relationships. Memory-making, that's your first fill-in-the-blank on your notes. That's based on verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Memory-making. Now, if you want to know the backstory of Paul planting the church in Philippi, you need to go to the book of Acts chapter uh, 16. It's quite an interesting story. But what's fascinating about this is that Paul had every reason to not have good memories from his experience in Philippi. If you've ever read the story, it was in Philippi where Paul and Silas were attacked by an angry mob, were terribly beaten and put in prison and fastened in stocks. But it was the memory of the many conversions Paul saw as he planted this church that transcended any hardship he faced. I mean, he doesn't even mention any of that in this book to the church in Philippi. He doesn't say anything about the trauma and the hardship that he experienced. No, it's just, it's a book of joy. Over and over again, you see this joy and gladness and, and thankfulness and praise. And so, my wife and I have uh, some incredible memories of the last almost 30 years of ministry at Desert Breeze that far outweighs any hardship that we have faced. And believe me, we have faced hardship. It's, it's hard, it's difficult, and sheep bite. And it can be pretty ugly from time to time. And yet, I would have to say, and she would agree with me, that it has been better than we deserve and greater than we could have ever dreamed having a front row seat to watch thousands and thousands of people's lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing quite like that. All of the sacrifice, all of the hardship is worth it. Worth it for all eternity. I mean, we've got memories that go all the way back to when we started this church in the Boys and Girls Club at 4730 West Grovers. Great memories there, setting up, breaking down. Then we moved to the Rose Garden Business Center, and there were great memories over there off of 19th Avenue and Rose Garden. And then from the Rose Garden Business Center, we moved to the old nightclub. Anybody remember the old nightclub days? Okay, there's a, there's a couple, there's a few. And so those were phenomenal days. Those were great days. We had baptisms out in the middle of the parking lot there. And a lot of people's lives were touched and transformed. And then we ended up in Sandra Day O'Connor High School for nine years. How many remember those days? Okay, more of you know those days. And then now we've landed here as our permanent location. And God has blessed us. It is absolutely amazing what God has done here. And so... Our, we have great memories. We just really have great memories through the last almost 30 years. And so gospel-centered relationships are memory-making. They're also, here's number two, joy-generating. That's based on verse four. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. There's that often used word 
in, this, in these four chapters. I mean, he's just filled with joy. And so when you think of joy, we defined joy last week as a buoyancy in our life. Life can push you down, it can't keep you down because you have this buoyancy based on the pleasures you find in the eternal privileges in Christ Jesus, <laughs> which are innumerable. And, and so certainly, if you have that joy in your heart, regardless of, of your situation, there's going to be praise and gratitude and thanksgiving. And in fact, I can tell whether or not you're living in the reality of that joy because you will have praise, gratitude, and thanksgiving. Praise, gratitude, and thanksgiving are inner health made audible. And so when you hear what's coming out of your mouth, it tells you a lot about what's going on in your heart. And, and so Paul is just, he, he, this is joy generating for Paul as he's praying for these folks. There's just deep joy because of this, this connection he has, this gospel-centered relationships that he has. First John 1, 3, and 4 help us to understand that a little more clearly. Uh, and the writer here, John, who is one of the apostles, and he, he uses the word we numerous times there in the first few verses of 1 John. It's because he's saying we, the apostles, eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. He says, we want you to join us in our fellowship and with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, so that our joy may be complete. Not only our joy will be complete if you connect with Christ and have intimacy with him, but your joy will be complete. There's this sharing of of relationship with Christ and intimacy with him that stirs up joy within our hearts. So here's my question for you. Who are the people in your life where there is a mutual, uh, mutually stirring up of joy in Christ? Do you have people in your life that, that when you hang out with them, oh my goodness, your appetite for Christ just begins to soar. You begin to love him more than ever. And, and do you do that for others? You need to have those kind of relationships. And you need to know how to hang, you know, where, where to hang out, what people, what group. By the way, that, your small group should be doing that. To where you, when you get together with that small group, you can hardly wait to get together. And then when you're together with them, oh my goodness, you're flying high when you leave there because of the joy that they stirred up within your heart. And that's what he's talking about here. So gospel-centered relationships are memory-making, joy-generating, but also they are ministry-multiplying. That's based on verse 5. He says, because of your partnership, there's the word koinonia. How many are familiar with that word koinonia? You guys familiar with that? It's a Greek word. Basically, it means fellowship, but it's much deeper than just coffee and donuts with friends. It goes much deeper than that. It's, it's, you get some skin in the game, so to speak. You, you really connect, and you get involved in other people's lives. You get involved in ministry. You give of your time and your talent and your finances, your treasure, into ministry so that you can see this ministry multiplied in its efforts to reach an ever-increasing number of people with the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so... Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's just talking about this over, overflow of joy. Three different times the church in Philippi sent support to Paul. Now, Philippians is a thank you letter from Paul to the church in Philippi for their support and encouragement of him in ministry. Now, why would we call this ministry multiplying? Because that's exactly what it did. Their support of Paul multiplied his ministry. And their encouragement of Paul multiplied the ministry of reaching more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so ministry multiplying, yes, because none of us is as smart or talented or gifted as all of us together. There's a synergy that happens here, and I've seen that through the years. And you cannot know God, grow in God, and win the world for God apart from gospel-centered relationships, community. And in fact, when you, when you are born again, you can't help but want to connect with others. It just, he, because he changes your heart, transforms you. You want to hang out with other Christians. And that's, that's critical, that's really important. And so uh, let me just say this, that I, I, with just deep appreciation and thanksgiving, thank you, thank you, thank you for many, many of you who have faithfully been generous with your time, your talent, and your treasure, your finances. Because we couldn't make the impact that we've been making here in the community. In fact, what's amazing about this is that, remember during the two months we were away, because we were at home, and so as we continued to do ministry, you guys kept giving even throughout that. And and our finances just continued to stay up and and keep soaring and keep going. And so praise God for you guys. It's evident that you are healthy, you love Jesus, and nothing's going to keep you from worshiping him. And uh, we saw that. People who have been generously loved by God will love generously with their time, their talents, their treasure. So gospel-centered relationships are memory-making, joy-generating, ministry-multiplying, but also confidence-creating. This is based on verse 6. Maybe you've memorized this verse. Anybody here memorized uh, verse 6, Philippians 1.6? Yep, yep, yep. Anybody over here? Yep. Those are, that's a great verse. I memorized it because there are times in my life, and I'm sure you feel this, it's like, man, am I going to ever get over this hurt? or this habit, or this hang-up. It's like, oh my goodness. Why do I keep struggling over the same things over and over again? Well, this is the promise from our God. Listen to what he says. And I am sure of this. This is uh, Paul writing to the Philippians, and so this is a promise also to us. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to Continue his work in you, even though you feel like giving up. Do not grow weary in well-doing, because in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. 6.9 of Galatians says that. But this is saying, guess what? He's still working in your life, and he's going to take it to completion. He's wanting to bring you to, to wholeness and healthiness and holiness in him. And there's nothing better than that. So he's not going to stop his work. Now, you need to keep in mind, and one of the things that creates the frustration within us is that we are not saved by our good works. We are not saved by our good works. Praise God for that. Because none of us would be saved, okay? And I mean none of us would be saved if it was based on our good works, but we are saved by Christ's good works. Salvation is the good work that God begins in us when we repent and believe in his son, and the promise is that he continues that work until it is completed. Now, salvation includes a threefold work. So 
When you think of salvation, you need to think of a threefold work. The work God does for us on the cross, that's called justification. The work God does in us, that's sanctification, making us more and more like his son, Jesus. And then the work God does through us, that's service. Now, a couple more questions here for you as it relates to this gospel-centered relationships. Who are the people in your corner cheering you on in your relationship with Christ Jesus? Do you have a group of people that when you're down, they are able to lift you up? And when they're down, you lift them up. Who are the people in your life that, that cheer you on as you continue to live out your faith in Christ Jesus? Here's another question. Who are the people who have come alongside of you and affirm God's work for you, in you, and through you? Who are the people that they speak into your life and they say, hey, you know what? I, I can, that's God's work in your life. He, he's transforming you. I, I see the transformation happening in your life because you're not the way you used to be because I knew you before way back there before, and now I'm seeing some change. That's fantastic. Praise God. God. God's working in you, and it's because he's worked for you. Don't ever forget that. And you've got people reminding you of the work that he's done for you on the cross because that's what begins to change. It changes you from the inside out. And, and then God's work through you. I've actually, I've said all of those three things to different people here in the church, and I, I've said before to them, said, man, you know, when you prayed right then, I saw God's work through you. It was amazing. And, and, uh, and so that's important that we have people around us that help us, and it's confidence creating. So uh, gospel-centered relationships are memory-making, joy-generating, ministry-multiplying, confidence-creating. Here's the last one of this section, number five, affection arousing, affection arousing. And this is based on verses seven through eight. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers. There's that word koinonia again. You are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Did you notice he uses the word you all a lot? I think Paul was from Texas or something. Okay, it just, uh, you all, he, he uses the word four times, you all, Four times in verses three through 11. I think this is Paul's way of including everyone in the church of Philippi, but I think it's even deeper than that. I think he's really wanting us to understand that God has no secret society of intimate friends. Every believer in Christ, regardless of age, race, gender, or economic status, can experience the fullness of joy found in intimacy with Christ. That's, that's for all of us. And then he uses this word affection. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. The, the word affection, the Greek literally means, brace yourself, it means this, bowels and intestines, the heart, lungs, liver. So when I, when I looked that up, that's exactly what it said. Uh, and... Uh, 
And so why would it say that? Because this is what they believed, and I still believe it to this day. The gut was the seat of our deepest emotions. And everyone here knows that because if you've ever received one of those dreaded phone calls about the loss of a loved one, where does it hit you? Right in the gut. You're sick to your stomach. Sometimes you can't even eat. And so that's where the emotions are really deep, not in our head, but deep in our gut, in our stomach. And, and that's why I, I believe that true f- uh, fellowship, koinonia, is described in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those that rejoice and grieve with those that grieve. So when you get close to people, really up close and personal, so when you have a friend that's grieving, you grieve. You're sad with them. And when they rejoice, it's almost as if you, ex- you experienced what they're experiencing because you're just rejoicing with them. It's like, yes. Now, envy would reverse those. Envy, envy would rejoice when others are grieving and grieve when others are rejoicing. That's envy. But, but true fellowship re- rejoices with those that are rejoicing and, and grieves with those that grieve. And as you help them to celebrate, you also help them to carry the burden of what they're experiencing. And so, this was not Paul's love channeled through Christ. It was Christ's love channeled through Paul. Did you notice what he says? I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The source of our deep affection for others comes from Christ's deep affection for us. So let me ask you this. Do you have any idea how deep his affection is for you? Do you spend time just basking in the reality of his deep affection for you? Because you see, if you did, it would eliminate worry and bitterness and self-pity and despair and it would fill you with humility and courage and joy. Your Savior has a deep affection for you. And I would encourage you to just bask in the reality of that every day. As we were singing that song earlier, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's talking about His, his love for us. His mercies, that's, that's His affection. His mercies are new every morning. That's His deep affection for us. He, he is that faithful. I would encourage you to bask in the reality of that. And, and, so, and so there's this deep affection of Christ that overflows our lives. And, and needless to say, Nancy and I have a very deep affection for the people of Desert Breeze, similar to what Paul had for the church he had planted in Philippi. And the greatest joy of our ministry has been the privileged experience of being in the birthing room at the Boys and Girls Club uh, at 4730 West Grovers almost 30 years ago, as I've stated, and, and, and then watching not only the birth of this young church, but watching it grow from, from infancy to childhood to adolescence to adulthood. A special bond will always exist in the depths of our hearts for the people of the Desert Breeze. And in fact, I personally believe 
that a church planting pastor's affection is much deeper than a pastor who is hired on later in the ministry of the church. My wife and I have a deep, deep affection for, the, for everyone here at Desert Breeze. And, and so it's gospel-centered relationships are memory-making, joy-generating, ministry-multiplying, confidence-creating, and affection-arousing. Now, if you want these benefits, then you need these characteristics, these marks. What are the marks of gospel-centered or healthy relationships? This is based on verses 9 through 11. Now, always keep in mind, relationships are only as healthy as the individuals that make up those relationships. Therefore, individual wholeness, holiness... Healthiness is the key to healthy relationships. And so really what we're talking about here is that these would be characteristics of us as individuals. And then we would share this with others and and that would be the dynamics of our interacting with one another. Now this is Paul's prayer found in verses 9 through 11. And the deepest longings of your heart will come out in your prayers. If I were to listen to your prayers... I could see the deepest longings of your heart. And so these are the deepest longings of Paul's heart. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. So he gives us five characteristics of relationally healthy people. Love, truth, integrity, good works, glory of God. Let's take that first one, love. Look at verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love, the word love is agape. How many are familiar with that word, agape? Agape, love, that's the Greek word. This is the deepest kind of love. This is the greatest kind of love. This is a God kind of love. And so your love, your agape love, may abound more and more. The word abound, it, it, it's the picture there is a river overflowing its banks that you would have so much of God's love that it would just overflow your life. That's what he's praying for. That's a great prayer, by the way. God is the only source and the best example of this agape love. I don't think you can have agape love on your own. I think you can only get it through God. I think he is that source of that agape love, that that unconditional kind of love. And he's the best example of agape love. Most people love those who love them. That's easy to do. Yet God loves and seeks the good even of people who are his enemies, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, we didn't want to have anything to do with God. Excuse the way I put it, but we were flipping him off. And while we were still sinners, he could have crushed us like an ant. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What amazing affection that he has for us. That's, that's overwhelming to even really think about it. And, and so to know that the Lord of the universe loves you is the strongest foundation that any human being could have for their life. So when you feel like you're a little bit shaken, you need to go back to your foundation. What is your foundation? It's his love. It's his deep affection for you. It's who he is what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. Our love for God and others grows out of an experience of God's love for us, 1 John 4:19. We love him because why? He first loved us. He first loved us. So agape love is not a feeling that you fall in and out of. I know 
the craziness of our culture and you see, you know, hopefully you don't watch some of these crazy shows on Bachelorette and they're, 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 they're showing you a distorted uh, kind of love, Bachelor or Bachelorette. I don't even know what the names of those shows are because I don't watch them, but, but I know this for a fact that that's a cheap love. It's a superficial love. It's sentimentality. It has really nothing to do with agape love. Regardless, and that's what our world buys. We want that. And so when people say, we fell in love, or we fell out of love, well, no, you didn't. That's not love. That might be lust, and it's selfish and self-centered, and it's all about you. And so agape love is not a feeling that you fall in and out of. It is a commitment. It is a vow. It is a promise to be there no matter what. It is wanting God's very best for that other person. See, that's agape love. It is the overflow of joy in God's love that gladly meets the needs of others. So let me talk to you about a current issue that we've got going on in our country. Let me talk, talk about the increased racial tensions. I think this would be a good time to talk about it, talking about love and what agape love is. And so the land of the free and the home of the brave has a terrible history of racism. None of us can deny that. And racism is attributing to one race intrinsic superiority and value above another and then treating others as undesirable or evil. That's racism. So let's add to racism. Racism, generalizations, stereotypes, nepotism, and cronyism. Anybody, you guys know what cronyism is? Good old boys club, that's, that's what cronyism is. You gotta, you're not with the in crowd. And so racism, generalization. Generalization is that anytime you call one race racist, that's a generalization. That's, a, that's stereotypical. You're, that's a stereotype. It's racism. That is racism. To make that general sweeping statement so racism, generalization, stereotypes, nepotism, cronyism are sins and very unloving. Not only are they unloving, they are hateful. The Bible makes that clear, 1 John 3, 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And so it's saying that if you have any of these things, you have the seeds of murder in your heart. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In fact, it even says they might claim to be Christians, but they're not. They do not have the love of God in their heart. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here because I know you guys agree 100% with what I'm saying here, that it's the love of God that has captivated our hearts and has transformed our lives. But as stated a few weeks ago, what those police officers did to George Floyd was horrible and they need to be held accountable and the peaceful protests were justifiable, but the lawless mobs are not. That's outrageous for our police departments to stand by because they're called off by the mayors and the politicians. That's crazy. What is happening here? And um, what a few police officers have done doesn't make all police officers bad. 
And so we need to support our police officers and weed out the bad ones. We have a number of police officers that attend here, even uh, those that have retired. We love our police officers. They are really good people. There is an, an ounce of racism in those that attend here that are part of this church. But we need to support our police officers. Now, If you have been treated unjustly because of race, age, heritage, sex, economic status, this is what you always need to keep in mind. Don't overcome evil with evil, overcome evil with good. And the only way that you can do that is that you need to know that you have a Savior who knows and cares and he understands because he experienced racism and injustice. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So let us boldly come before the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace to help us in our time of need. He was tempted in every way just as we are. What does that mean? Well, he faced some horrible rejection and racism And a number of things that just to the core of his being, and he knows, he cares, he understands. And it's only the injustice that was done to Jesus on the cross has the power to stop all the injustice in this world. So so agape love is more than not just being racist. It's, it's praying against racism. It's speaking and standing up against any form of racism. And most importantly, it is contagiously uh, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel so that people's hearts can be transformed because that's what's going to transform people's hearts. So agape love is truly wanting God's very best for others and then acting on that desire. And so we've got to add to that love truth. That's your next fill in the blank. You can't have love without truth. So he says, I pray your love may abound more and more. Notice what he says in verse 9b, with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. So when someone says, we just fell in love, we only know her. You've only known each other for a week and you're going to get married? You don't know them. You need to have knowledge of them because that's not true love unless you really get to know the other person. You're not going to know how to love them. And that's where, why he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more with knowledge, all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. So let's take those words individually. Knowledge means ethical or divine knowledge, and we know where ethical and divine knowledge is to be found in God's word. That's biblical truth. The word discernment means practical application of biblical truth. And then he uses the word approve. That means to test, examine, prove what is excellent. The word excellent means the very best way to love someone to approve of what is the very best way to love someone. So to fall in and out of love is superficial and a selfish kind of love as we've stated. True agape love is controlled by your application of biblical truth helping you to determine the best way to love someone. So the more fully you know someone in God's word, the more fully you can love them. Now, let me get back to this idea of racism How do we root out racism? How do we do that? Here's the truth from God's word. First, you must learn to see people as God sees them. 
How does God see people? Well, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the what? On the heart. It tells us in Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The word man means mankind, all of us. Our image bearers of God. And if you follow it back far enough, we all are one race based on what the scripture teaches, coming from Adam and Eve. So every human being on this planet is an image bearer of God with intrinsic dignity, honor, and significance. Yes, even the unborn. That's the first thing, you must learn to see people as God sees them. Here's the second one, is that you must learn that our primary identity is not race, economic status, gender, nationality, political party, etc. It is being a child of God, deeply loved by our Father in heaven. That's why it says in, in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is a, a, nor, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, so God's plan to bring people together is the church, you and I, because we have the gospel, we have gospel-centered relationships. And we should be leading the way and showing unity within diversity because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. We're all about reconciliation. That's, that's what the Christian life is all about. And so, marks of gospel-centered relationships, love, truth, and then here's the third one, integrity. Verse 10b, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The word pure is an interesting word. It means sincere without duplicity or without pretense. Or it's also defined as without, without wax. <laughs> that sounds weird. What is that about? Well, it's actually referring to what they would do in those days, the potter with pottery, and when it was finished up on the wheel, and then they would bake it, and they would bring it out of the oven, and, and if maybe the handle broke off, rather than to throw the whole piece away, they would use wax to fill the, the gaps, even if it was cracked. They would fill it full of wax, and then polish it up, and then, then sell it, and so People got wise after a while, and what they would do is they'd take a piece of pottery and hold it up into the sunlight, and they could see where it was filled in with wax, the places where it was filled in with wax. Or you could take it out when it's 110 degrees outside, and that wax would melt. You go, this is cheap. This isn't a complete piece of pottery. You're trying to sell me this that's, uh, that's not pure. That's the idea behind that. And so it means sincere, without duplicity, pretense. Integrity is having no disparity between your public life and private life. You don't act one way in front of people and then behind their back uh, slander and gossip about them. And then he uses the word blameless. So we're still talking about integrity here. So pure and now blameless. Blameless does not mean sinless, but it, it's about making all things right between you and others, whether you are the offended or the offender. Romans 12, 18 helps us to understand that. It says, as far as it concerns you, be at peace with 
Everyone. What does that mean? It means take care of your side of the street. So relationships are two-way street. And he's just saying, make sure you cover your side of the street. You can't take care of their side of the street. You can take care of your side of the street. That's what it means to be blameless. Whether you are the offender, if you're the offender, you go to them and apologize and work, work it out with them. Or if you've been offended, you talk to them about that. It's, it's all about reconciliation. And, and so integrity is also the integration of love and truth. So you got love, truth, and then integrity, and it's the integration of these two. And uh, love without truth is superficial. It's sentimentality. It affirms the other person but keeps them in denial about their flaws. Love without truth is superficial, but truth without love is severe. It's too severe. It's severity. It confronts the other person but in such a way that they cannot really receive it. So here's some good counsel that when you, when you begin to want to confront someone over their behavior and how they've treated you and they begin to withdraw and become defensive and get angry, they begin to push back, the thing that you need to do is go back to connecting with them and reestablishing, hey, wait, 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 I love you. I, I really want the best for you. I'm not attacking you. I'm not coming after you. I've just noticed these things in our life and it, and it creates problems within our relationship. So you always connect before you correct and when you correct and, and they respond with a defensiveness, you go back to connecting. You gotta have that balance of love and truth working throughout that. And if they continue to, to uh, push you away, uh, as, as my w- wife did with me, she continued to confront me over those issues lovingly. And over time, I, I began to, uh, the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart. I began to realize, what a knucklehead. And so what she did was that she had actually confronted me over my response in when she would confront me, my, my negative response towards her. That's just good counsel. That's just love and truth, this combination. And that the integrity that brings both of those together. And the gospel is a perfect example of that. The gospel is a perfect example of that. God's saving love in Christ is marked with both truthfulness about our sinful condition and unconditional love about our Savior's commitment to redeem us. You got, you got truth and love right there. So these characteristics of, of healthy relationships, healthy people are love, truth, integrity, and then good works. Good works. That's the next fill in the blank on your notes. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So faith is the root of our salvation. Good works is the fruit of our salvation. James 2, 17 and 26 says faith without works is what? It's dead. So if you have love, truth, integrity, you're going to back it up with your actions. It's going to be seen in, in how you, you live out your life. Now, good works, what are, what are good works? It is the desire and the effort to do three things. So the next time you're going to interact with people, you go to your small group or whatever, here's the three things that you should be wanting to accomplish in your interaction with them. And in fact, this, this will show you if you're interacting with a safe person because safe people will do these, these three things. So it is the desire and the effort to do three things to bring others closer to God 
to bring others closer to one another and to bring others closer to who God truly made them to be. See, that's a safe person. When you interact with safe people, they are wanting to get you closer to God. They're wanting to help you in your relationships in general, closer to others. And they're also wanting you to get closer to the person that God has made you to be. And we will have that same heart for them. That makes for really, really healthy relationships. So love, truth, integrity, good works, characteristics of healthy relationships. Here's the fifth one, glory of God. Verse 11b, to the glory and praise of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, so how, what's the best way to live your life for God's glory? How would I know that you're living your life for, your, for, for God's glory or your own glory? But how would I know the difference between the two? This is how you, you know is that that person finds deep satisfaction in Christ because God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And that's true regardless of the circumstances of our life. There is a deep indescribable, indestructible joy that can be found in Jesus Christ in all situations of our lives. And, and that gives us that deep joy and, and that's the best way to give him glory and it's very attractive. When you're around people that just are satisfied with God, you're wanting to know, how, how can I be satisfied like them? That's a great way to live. That's how he wants us to live. That's how healthy people live their lives. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, it is, it is not good for us to be alone. So, so set us free from our anonymity and individuality so that we can experience more and more the benefits of gospel-centered relationships. May Desert Breeze Community Church be all about memory-making, joy-generating, ministry-multiplying, confidence-creating, and affection-arousing. But first, we pray, we ask, make us holy and healthy and whole individually because it is individual wholeness that is the key to healthy relationships. And so it is, it is our prayer that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. God bless you.